You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Come on! Go! Hey guys, welcome to The Tapping Road. My name is Matt. My name's Freddie. Each week we bring you your rugby fix with interviews with past and present rugby professionals and we get their views on the latest sporting issues. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Tap and Go with Matt and I. Today we're joined by Bar Stalwart and England hooker Tom Dunn. He made his debut in the autumn against Italy coming off the bench to win the Six Nations and he picked up two further caps in the Autumn Nations Cup. Welcome Tom, how are you doing today? Oh, hi guys, yeah I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, yeah, thanks. Very well, thanks. So obviously we might as well start the current. So Bath are currently saying ninth in the Premiership. Um, how do you think your season's gone? Where do you think you guys have been going wrong? Um, well, it's, it's, they've been tight games. You know, we've, we've lost by a couple of points here and there. Um, individual accuracy is probably the main the main takeout from the games, whether it be at set piece, uh, first phase strike or defence, and then also our discipline. Um, I think we've been on the wrong side of the of the discipline scoreboard, which often relates to the current scoreboard. So, how as a club do you as a team do you try and go about fixing that? Uh, I think it's massive to do with trust. I think the type of penalties give away. Um, I think like when you're trapped alongside of a rock and you can't get out because it's too loud on you, it's a very different penalty to being offside. Um, I think the offside type of penalty, the unforced ones, comes from a little bit of trust. comes from uh, trust in the system and not trying to make the magic play happen. Yeah, completely. So obviously you've been Bath your whole career. You are born in Bath. It's very much your hometown. Was that always a dream to represent your, your local team? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I was actually quite late to rugby. I was um, a football man in my, my early age and I played football and rugby till probably mid-teens. Um, and then I basically got too slow for football, went on to the rugby side of things. And from the age of about 16, 17, I, I wanted to play rugby. Um, and I'm very fortunate to have done that. Mm. And is, is it Bath all the way through? You think you've got your Bath through, you're not going to branch out anywhere else, potentially overseas or another Premiership side? No, I I would, you know, you never say never, but I, I really couldn't see myself playing for another Premiership team apart from Bath. Um, but you, you never know, you know, the game's changing and hey, so it's, a, it's in the end of the day, it's a job as well. So when you get to the latter end of your career and you're 33, 34, you just got to play the cards you dealt kind of thing and you never know what contract you on the table. Mm. And so obviously at Bath, Todd Blackadder's had a big, big impact on your career and sort of your role. I think it was when he first 
came to club, he sort of saw you in the reserves, not really playing. So I said, why is this guy not playing? Um, and you've been quoted by others as the apple of black eyes. Do you want to talk a little bit about the influence he's had on you? Uh, yeah, no, he was he was massive. Like he was he was a quality bloke. But I think the main thing when he came in, he didn't see me as a young academy lad. Um, that was kind of the brush I was tarred with for maybe three or four years. As in, oh, Dunny, he's the young lad. He works hard, he try hard. But I think that was kind of the the impression the coaches had of me. Um, but where he came in from not being in the Premiership being completely neutral he hopefully I think he saw that different side of me where I'd matured um, it's one of those things when you stay at a club from a young age it's hard to shake off that that uh, tag and I think his fresh eyes came in with a fresh ethos a fresh way of looking at things and I took that and I ran with it and he guided me along the way I think he claimed at one point that he thought you would be fit straight into the All Black squad that's like I mean, the highest praise you can receive isn't it? Uh, yeah I'm still Still not sure what he was drinking that day, but I definitely take some. And then, obviously, one thing on your personal game that I've read about is you have two sort of almost sort of two mindsets in your play. You've got the blue room and the red room. Can you talk a little bit about that and sort of explain how you sort of implement that into your game? Yeah, so um, I was late moving to hooker. I was a loose head prop till I was about nineteen, um, and I kind of based my game on being quite aggressive, um, physical, busy, determined around the pitch. Um, and that's kind of like a state of mind I've got to get in to, to do that. Um, so I called that my red room. And uh, the things I related to that were the colour of red, which is obviously danger, anger, um, like a Tasmanian devil kind of um, attitude. And then the blue room was when I had to learn to throw. So it's very, throwing is a very controlled, close skill. And you've got to have that right mindset to be able to do it. And I found myself at the start of my career blurring the line slightly so I'd come off the pitch go for the ball and all tense angry and still having that on pitch mindset so I um, I used the touch line as a trigger whenever I crossed the touch line I went blue to red so when I went to blue I was thinking you know cool as ice James Bond-esque Panther those kind of like cliche things to start with when I was younger to try and get me in that mindset and then from then my um, like my throwing routines come on to different sort of things like breathing techniques and shaping and other methods like that to try and calm myself down to throw to then get back across the white line and get back into that red zone again to go and hit somebody yeah. is that sort of sports psychology is that a big sort of deal at the moment in the prem because it's not really as much talked about and perhaps as a taboo perhaps like a few years ago is that sort of rising at the moment uh i think there's different ways of going about it and different Sykes have different clubs have different techniques and different routines so uh, I think there is that on offer to the majority of players at the majority of clubs um, as I said I've only ever been at Bath and there's, all, there's constantly been somebody at Bath whether he, they've been influencing the team or on an individual basis or certain individuals so I think it is going on and I think it is pretty regular across the premiership but I don't know to what level and to kind of how they implement it as such. You talk about on a team basis, how does that work? Because obviously one-to-one is pretty self-explanatory, but do you also like have massive meetings with just the one psychologist trying uh, to work it all out? Yeah, I think the psycho- psychology of the game and like your team values and your culture is all quite closely linked. Um, so, you know, like if, you know, if you've got your values that your team stand for these things, then you've got to believe it. You've all got to buy into it. And for, so, for some reason you don't believe in it, then I think that's almost like a psychological thing. 
rather than a physical thing. Or a, So if you can tap into that and get everybody on the same page and everybody putting in the same direction towards your values, I think that kind of buys into that psychology of everyone's in that good place, trying to improve maybe, trying to get better, trying to win things. So I, that's how it goes into the team environment. Is, you know, it's almost a standards thing that comes from the psychological skills and strengths that you have. And you talk about your red room and obviously like seeing reds quite sort of seen as like a negative thing in rugby. Have you ever found that sort of trying to pump yourself up gets almost angry? Has that ever negatively affected your game and resulted in? Uh, yeah, I think in certain skills of my game. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, 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 for example, line speed, hitting somebody around the ankles, around the waist, you know, it's going to be a big collision. You need to be there. You have to have that mindset. You're going to go and do it and it's going to hurt and you're going to feel terrible on the Sunday morning, but that's part of the game. And you, I don't think you can be almost, well, you can go in and do a massive headshot or a high tackle or a late tackle. That's because you're over aroused. Um, but that comes down to control. Um, but then I think like the close skills, so, like maybe if you look at your fly halves, your scrum halves, hookers, um, maybe fullbacks under the high ball. If you're over aroused in those areas, that can affect your performance. Mm. Yeah, completely. So obviously you touched on how you came to rugby quite late and you didn't you didn't make your premiership debut to 24 and obviously you just made your own debut at 28. Was that sort of something you always played in the back of your mind that maybe you'd missed it? And you were too late to the party because obviously we saw these youngsters coming through the likes of well, we just had Charlie Atkinson on and he's still 19 and he's starting the premiership so yeah um, I think like it all depends on your like, rugby journey it's like I almost use this cliche saying not where you start it's where you end um, there, are, there are some individuals who get into an England 16s team go England 16s 18s 20s academy first team within seven, eight years. They just go two years, two years, two years, two years, two years, two years. And then you get other players like look at Premiership at the minute, like uh, Tom Cruise, for example. I know he was a uh, um, sale, they went down to Championship, played there, then went to London Irish, now what's nice playing in special rugby. Um, and that's a different type of journey to somebody like Atkinson you're talking about. So I think it, you can get motivated by it as well on both both routes as well so the motivation to keep going because you know you're nearly there you're nearly there you're nearly there and there's the motivation of I've already done it now I've got to keep this up and this is now who I want to be I enjoy this this is what I want more of and that motivates you to go further so I, I feel like I was probably in that one category until I was well 25 26 and then it's the other one way you've hit some of your goals and now you want to push your goals further and that motivates you to go further on was there any sort of moments of doubt throughout your career where you just thought, oh, perhaps this is my last season? Uh, I think by last season at a club, I had those thoughts at Bath. Um, probably in the 2014 season, maybe, no, maybe 2013, 2014, sorry, the year before Todd got there. I think I made seven appearances off the bench and that was it. Um wasn't getting game time in like the development cups like the LV or the Anglo Welsh. It's playing a lot of A League, and I think the the hardest thing to take as a player is when you is is selection. It's the hardest thing anyone takes. I think it talk about talk about injuries, but injuries are a fact. You either are broken or you're not, and there's not a lot you can do about it. But selection is like an opinion, and if you disagree with the opinion of other people, then that's where you can get into muddy water. Um, and I'll probably say I wasn't far off that when Todd arrived. I was pretty um, disheartened. I was trying my best. I was doing everything they were asking me to do and I wasn't getting an opportunity. But apart from that, 
the last tail end of that season, I've always been pretty focused and pretty motivated on what I wanted. And you speak on motivation, and obviously that's quite an individual thing. What sort of personally motivated you to keep going? Um, in my younger years, it was probably people telling me I couldn't. That feeling, that kind of like, I'll prove you wrong. I'm, I'm not particularly quick. I'm not quick. I'm not particularly strong. I'm not particularly skillful. So I kind of built my game on working hard. And I think the fact that is what my game is built on, you can't ever not do that. You know, people, some, some rugby players are very lucky. They can rock up to a session and their skill is being quick. And they haven't got to practice that in a week and they'll still be quick at the weekend. Um, or if you're, you know, immensely strong in the gym, you know, on the pitch, if you're not immensely strong and you're training in the week, but the weekend you still got it in the tank. Whereas when working hard is your thing, you, you, I feel like you have to do it all the time. You can't, you can't let off working hard, otherwise you haven't got anything. Um, so that that kind of the way I trained kind of kept me motivated because for me to get better, I had to keep working hard. So I was quite lucky in that aspect. Yeah, that's a message to any of our younger listeners or any youngsters out there. Just working hard is the key to rugby. Is if you work hard, you can you can do no wrong. You're doing the best you can. Yeah, it's actually what I've got written on my locker at Bath. It's been on there for probably eight or nine years now. Is um you haven't got to be talented to work hard. Mm, I think um, a quote resides with me is hard work beats talent when talent's not working. Yeah, exactly. Same sort of thing. Yeah. And obviously, so you came into Bath when you were 24. Did you feel, as because were there youngsters, younger people who had already been playing and like, established themselves at the club at that point? Did you feel like slightly out of place? Uh, not particularly, because I think I've been there. I mean, I made my debut for Bath when I was 19 off the bench. Um against Carvazano away. So I'd been around the squad. I think in 2014 was my first start. Okay. I'd played a few, I played a few games off the bench up till then. But yeah, there were younger players. I'm not sure if Oli Devoto was still there, but like he was a player two a year younger than me who kind of pushed through, broke through really early. Um, Charlie Yules broke through a similar, maybe a little bit before, before me, and he's two years younger than me. Tom Ellis is another one. Um, so yeah, you, you see it. But I think the thing that, you take from that is positional as well. You you tend to break through later as a front row player compared to a winger. You know, you don't get a lot of 19-year-old loose heads in international rugby, whereas wingers, you get your Reese Zamets, you get a few of them boys coming through really young. So I think that kind of gives you a bit more of a, I don't know what the word is there, but you kind of, you, your expectations are a bit less. Mm. All righty, guys, it's that time again. Time to pay for the pints. Today's podcast has been brought to you by our mates over at Team Blazers. A big shout out to them. The great British Blazers company kidding you out for every match day social. Check them out now. And so obviously we'll move on to now, folks. Obviously you had the big success of you got your first cap for England in, uh, in the autumn. Did you have, obviously you've been in the squad training squad before, you've been very close, but did you think that potentially that, that move, that, uh, sorry, I can't get the words out, that ship had passed? Uh yeah, I, I took about it before I had some demons on that pitch uh, when it was the 76th minute and I wasn't on yet. Um, I've been on the bench for 18 minutes before and not got on. So it wasn't like that couldn't happen. That has happened to me and it probably happened again to other people. So I had that in the back of my mind. Um, but I kind of you get to the point where you've done everything you can do as an individual and the rest is up to somebody else. So I, I was kind of at peace with that. On, on sat on the side and I was waiting and I was trying to keep composed and just ready to go and do my thing if I got the opportunity. 
I know Eddie Jones come under quite a lot of criticism for sometimes leaving or his finishers to the 79th. Like, is there, and people are saying, well, what's the point of him bringing them on? But obviously for you, that was still, even if it was only for a minute, it was still a massive moment. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it was huge. It was, you know, you, you know, get me wrong, don't get me wrong here. When you dream as a kid of playing for England, you don't dream about playing for a minute and a half, but you dream about playing for England. And that's something that no one will take away from you. So I'd like, hopefully, fingers crossed in, 30 years time people will look back and they won't remember the fact that I played 90 seconds I remember my cap number I remember I got I got on the pitch and that's kind of what I'm very proud of so talking about that so how, when did you find out you're in the match day 23 and thought right this this could be it uh when did I find out I think it would have been the Thursday morning before the Saturday game um but so yeah that you find out pretty pretty similar timings to when you find out everyone else finds out online it's all so what, um, what were the emotions going through when you heard your name number 16 uh, it's just if I'm honest with you I'm just I'm that cliche flat bat it's just another game it's just uh, I've got an opportunity to play rugby this weekend I'm very lucky at this, in this moment to have that opportunity because not people can play rugby um, go out there and do my best so that was that was literally it like, mm. I've been this, I've been in that position before where I've been named in the team and not got on so you can't get overexcited, can't get ahead of yourself. You just got to worry about doing your bit for the team. And obviously, you've been there or thereabouts, you've been in the training squads before, but that squad since the 2019 World Cup has been quite settled. Did it help having, say, Jonathan Joseph, Sam Underhill, clubmates being there sort of help you integrate into the group? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's probably, I think it was about seven, seven or eight of us from Bath there. I mean, Will Stewart, Ben O'Barnell was travelling. You had Charlie Yule's. Um, yeah, so there's was, was a fair few of us. And I mean, I think I was first named in the squad, training squad like 2017 or something. Um, so it was, I knew, I know quite a lot of the lads quite well through the through the time I spent training. So it was a, it's a great moment to share as well with other people because you've been on the ride with them and it's good to have that moment of enjoyment. Yeah, and then obviously you've mentioned that you thought like it could happen again, it could happen again, but surely there wasn't going to be a chance of you sitting on the bench two eighty minutes without making a cap. So you pretty confident you would get on in the build-up to it? No, no, I wasn't. Um, no, I generally thought it could happen again. I think it's massively result-dependent. I mean, with game and as, as selfish as it, it would have been for me to want to have got on earlier, if that mm. would have affected the result, I'd rather not have got on. Um mm. You know, being a hooker as well, you know, the pressure on the line out, that's a big moment in the game, whether you're exiting your five metres or you're attacking their fight, their try line. They're big moments that you don't get very often in international rugby. You, know, you make a mistake there and your card's marked, I'd say. So I was very aware that I might not get on. And that was that. It's just not in my hands, that sort of decision. I mean, you're in a very illustrious small group of people who can say they want to made a trophy with their first cap. That was yeah. winning Six Nations, wasn't it? So that must have been a pretty, pretty amazing feeling. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was bizarre to be honest with you. It was. Um, like, I think that it was also a couple of other debuts. Uh, Jamie George's fiftieth, Ben Young's hundredth. So it was actually like a big occasion for a few boys, um, and it was an enjoyable experience. And so obviously there was that video which went viral just after it was you on your phone, uh, calling. I, think, I presume it's your parents quite emotional so that's just to demonstrate how much it meant to you uh yeah i was on the phone to my my kids and my missus in the first bit and i think it was my parents in the second uh yeah it was um it's something you, you train for for a long time and 
I say sacrifice, it's not sacrifice because you want to do it. It's, it's things you, you you put a heart and soul into. To, to play rugby, it's physically hard and mentally hard and you've got to be tough. And I think it was just a bit of an outlet. Like I've achieved something. I haven't actually ever won anything in my... That's a lie. I won the A-League in 2012, I think. But actually, in first-team rugby, I haven't actually won anything or achieved anything. I've played a lot of games at Bath Rugby and that is an achievement. But to actually look back on your career and look back and say I played for England, as you said, there's a handful of people who can say they've done that. And that's a big thing for me. I mean, three England caps and two trophies, it's not bad going. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> um, obviously... COVID meant that your family and friends was it sort of mixed emotions because you were playing they weren't there with you to like enjoy it with you it was obviously a phone call away but I bet you you would have loved to have them there with you yeah no it would have obviously been fantastic to have them there but that's also motivation now for me going forward and I want to play a game with them there yeah so that's motivation now to get back into this England squad and keep going I want to make a slight sort of segue, still on the England track, but I was sort of interested in sort of hearing your thoughts on the difference between sort of training camp for Bath and England. So sort of obviously you, saw, you talked about test rugby being more rigorous and being more ruthless. Is that replicated as well in the England setup? Uh, yeah, I think standards are naturally higher because the calibre of player. Um, I think the easiest way to use it as an example is when you're training at Bath Rugby, and you've got 18 Nord Academy lads who you don't know yet whether they're going to be professional or they're going to have a couple of years in it and maybe not quite make the cut or you, you don't know. They're at that standard where they are. And so when they're in training, I think this is across all clubs, by the way, not just the Bath, um, they make more mistakes than someone like Mario Toji, as you can imagine. So in training, there's probably 35 blokes, 30 of them are first team regulars, five Academy lads if they make more mistakes than someone at England would, therefore training has a pause and then go on to the next thing, but the training has to stop because of the mistake. That mistake doesn't happen in international rugby. So the training keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, keeps going and the intensity of it rises, rises, rises. And it's the same as in when you're ball carrying. If I look up and I see in a bath, if I see Charlie Yules, Sam Underhill and an, an under-18s academy lad, I'm going to run at him because it's easier. Whereas you go to an international camp, you look up, you've got the ball and you see Ellis Genge, Carl Sinclair and Billy Vanapola. There isn't that easy out. There isn't that moment where, well, that'd be a, a less, that'd be a more dominant collision. I'll take a breast there kind of thing. There isn't that, that mindset mentality or that option to do it. It's all 100% from one to zero to 100. I'm intrigued. I'll say, if you had those three to run at, who would you run at if you're carrying? I don't mind. I'll be at the kneecaps anyway, so I wouldn't matter which one. I'd tuck, tuck, and, tuck and carry. Fair enough. So obviously we touched there, but the Autumn Nations Cup, we've talked pundits, we've talked ex-players, but obviously a very current player. What was the feeling within the camp about it? it was, was it just another tournament, more games, you just go out there and win, or was there a bit of a shame that you weren't playing Southern Hemisphere and sort of the usual games which you got? Um, it's, well, I've not played in other tournaments like Autumn Internationals and Summer Tour, so it's hard for me to compare. But it was, it felt competitive. It felt like we were heading towards a final, which I thought was fantastic. You know, you don't usually get that, I think, in autumns. Um, but we're heading towards a final because um, there was a mixture of teams in there, like Georgia and obviously Fiji had one game. So it was that bit of variety. Um, but yeah, I, no, I, I enjoyed it and I thought it was brilliant having that end goal. You know, you're going to be playing for a trophy. Made it more, for me, made it competitive, made it like you're going to achieve something at the end. 
So it's something you think should stick around? Uh, well, as I said, I've only ever played, I haven't played anything else. So maybe it would be different if I had, had that experience, but I can't see why it shouldn't. And so after, obviously after everything, Eddie Jones said the thing more focusing on York, because obviously everyone was interested. You're the person who just made his first cap. And he said that he thought potentially you weren't ready for test rugby. It was just a little bit about your game, which you still need to work on. What were your thoughts on his comments? Was that after some, what was that after the game? Uh, yeah. Oh, no, I, I, um, I don't know. I actually haven't heard them. Sorry. Uh, I think <laughs> there's, obvious, pardon me, there's obvious parts of my game to work on. It's my set piece accuracy. That's what my feedback always is. Um, usually around my throwing. And it's, it's quite a nice target to have because it's measurable. It's completely measurable. It's not an opinion. Um, you can look at the stats. You can look at the you can look at the videos and say you threw eighty five percent. You threw ninety two percent. He threw ninety five percent. Therefore, he's being picked, or vice versa. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, every, everyone's got work on. Everyone's got an area of the game to get better, and that's mine. I think I've just found. So I think it was actually uh, you said that he says that you're a tough character, but need a tougher body. That you looked uh, need to get rid of some of the sloppiness, get heavier, and put on more lean mass. Was the exact uh, that, that was um was that a while ago? Uh, it was an article written. I can't actually find the date. Yeah, no, that was my feedback before I was um had my debut as such. Was uh, okay. Sorry, that's confusing. Bit, I was a bit sloppy around the middle, so I trimmed up a bit and got my set piece right. There you go. Reward of the caps. So obviously tomorrow, no Friday, sorry, the Six Nations squad announcement comes. What sort of what are your feeling towards it? Are you nerves? Do you have any inkling about what's going to happen? No, I don't have any nerves and I haven't got any inkling either. It kind of it is what it is. I haven't been able to play in two weeks. We had um we missed a couple of games against um was it so one game against the Irish. I've had a couple of opportunities to play against uh Wasps and Leicester. So I've done what I can and that is what it is, isn't it? You know, I can't sit here and worry about how I've played or what I did or didn't do. Um I'm at, at peace with what I've done and selection selection. There's got to be excitement towards it when you are, if or when you are selected. It's another training camp. It's another chance just to improve and prove yourself to things that you should be there fighting with yeah. Luke and Jamie. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's exciting, and it's an opportunity, and that's what I'm trying to see. Every moment I get in that camp has, you know, whether it be an opportunity to throw my, show them what I can throw, an opportunity to show them what I, I can or can't. Well, can is the option I try to go for, but it's an opportunity to show them what I can do. So gotta go out there and do what I can and then just before so obviously looking forward do you have any other goals obviously more England cats more but is there anything else that you want to look to achieve in the probably five more next five years for rugby uh, I'd love to win the league with Bath or win the European Cup or both you know are there their genuine ambitions the club have got and that I have as well and you think it's something that you guys can do I think yeah and I do I honestly do believe we can um I think obviously we came fifth last year. Luck ended up fourth through default as such. Uh, I think we're growing our game really well at the minute. I know the results aren't going our way, but that's, I think, part of the package of trying to grow your game. You've, you've got to make mistakes when you're learning and trying to develop the way you play. Um, so I think that's what we're trying to do at the moment. And if it when it all starts clicking, I honestly think we've got a chance. Perfect. Uh, well, just before we end, one thing we ask most of our guests is for their favourite moment. Obviously, your England caps are probably way up there, but is there any other standout moments that have happened for you, whether they're on or off the field during your rugby career? Uh, 
we played against Bristol in the clash at Twickenham and I ran out of both my kids. That was pretty special. I uh, carried my little boy and my little girl around next to me. So, yeah, that was a that was a nice moment that I remember. Yeah, I mean, that that's, look, must be so special. Family is everything, foremost, doesn't matter, job, whatever. That's good, yeah. yeah. That must be pretty special. Well, Tom, thank you so much for coming on with us. It's been really interesting, really quite enjoyable. So... Thanks for giving up your time and hope everyone else enjoyed that as much as Matt and I have. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.